Welcome to Extra Stuffs. I'm Brian Goman. While Jess and I are off on summer, approaching now fall hiatus, uh, we wanted to make sure that we stayed in your hearts, in your ears, and share some of uh, the extra audio, the extended cuts uh, that we recorded over the last season of Foodstuffs. This is the first edition of Extra Stuffs for this hiatus period, and we're going to start with the extended cut of my interview with Chef Aran Marom. The original uh, interview was actually the first episode of this past season, and I've really been dying, aching to to share this with you since. Iran is just one of those guys that I feel like I could listen to all day long. I hope you feel the same. He's had such an interesting, interesting life, and really this extended cut allows us to share uh, a lot more about his life, a lot more about uh, working with uh, Daniel Blood in, in New York City, a lot more about his time uh, training um, in France and um, his time with the Israeli army and uh, settling in Toronto and and finding his way and connecting with uh, a religion that was really not at all part of his life for a long period of time. So anyway, there's a lot of great stuff in here. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, So without further ado, this is my interview with Chef Aran Marom. Your parents sort of led you down the path that sort of ended you up in food. Yeah. But what was it that really first hooked you about food? Was it serving people? Was it creating? What really made you fall in love with food? (laughs) This is a horrible answer. Um, The money, to be honest. (laughs) Because uh, the school was like three days working and three days learning and you get paid. So it was kind of amazing to be like independent when you're so young and get like a paycheck every month. It's not so familiar in, you know, in Israel in these ages where people is in school until they're 18. So I think the money was the first. Uh, it's horrible to say, but, <laughs> but it's the truth. Uh, yeah, definitely getting paid was like the main. That's cause, what got you in. Yeah, because I really wanted to do so many other stuff than go to school. And that was like the great motivator to like, make me go to school. <laughs> It sounds horrible. <laughs> That's okay. There's nothing wrong with nothing wrong with want to make money, right? But what was it? There obviously was a time where it got past. Yes, yeah, so it became a real definitely. When when I arrived in France, like the, I think it was actually like the first day or so. Just, when I went for my first dinner and in France it was like the moment when I realized, wow, this is like this is something. Was it a, just the, that meal or that experience? It, or? It's the attitude for eating. Um, I think that before that, I was usually just putting things into my mouth very quickly and just eating them, chewing them, and keep going what I'm doing. Even like working, you know, in the restaurants before, it was not. It never, never was like the understanding of like a meal of like flavors. It was just like you know, food. And then I started like it. Start, it was so sophisticated, like the food that we had. The meal, the, the flavors. I asked, I asked the person, like, how come the onion tastes like that? What is this? He said, well, it's just been cooked for like three days almost, so that's what happened. So I said, okay, there's something to talk about here. I, I liked the complexity. I liked the, the time, like the idea that something like take so much time and produce this kind of flavor. So that, that I, I think that the moment that it hit me that like, I really need to get into this. Um, the other part of it, for sure, is to serve people. It's like one of the most incredible. Like I, I love hosting. Um, if it's like my house is like, like I think most of my friends know, it's like very happening place. Uh, 
if up to 30 people, that's all I can sit. <laughs> Sorry, wow. in full capacity after that. Uh, for usually for dinners, and it, it's something that I just I I love so much and enjoy. It's like it's, I think it became like uh, always um, as as a center for me uh, for my life, just like the hosting. So I think that's definitely helped to have this feeling in the restaurant industry because if you apply to work, it's mm -hmm. becoming very uh, very helpful because <laughs> it's going to become difficult sometimes. One of the first chances you had to serve people, a lot of people, was uh, when you were a chef in, uh, in, the a cook in the army. Yeah. So you were serving what up to nine hundred people. What is it yeah. like to oh serve <laughs> that amount of, amount of people and just sort of keep everything going? So it's actually it's very funny that you asked that because this is like something that I cannot forget out of my life because it's really like one. Of, it's like the best show that you can ever see ever but every day because it's like the same people and you know already like through 900 people you actually start to recognize what people want like what they like what they don't and it's daily and they're starving because you you know you're in the army and you practice the whole day and then yeah. lunchtime come and everybody waiting for the hot schnitzel and it, it, it's it's mayhem it's like it's madness it's like rows and rows of people like waiting in line and you have to do it quick and fast and without a mess and you can get into trouble like you cannot like you can't like make you know mistakes or give someone more or less like like your commander is like watching you the whole time. So it's a very strict environment that actually very funny and like happening. It's a it's it's a, it's a good time also like people know that like in the army like the eating time is a very good time because everybody's a little bit more relaxed. Uh, but it's definitely it's one of the best. It, it's like going like I'm just saying it's similar to going to Disneyland and the first step you make in. It's like you know the show start. It's a very similar thing with the door open and 900 people walk in starving <laughs> with like trays in their hands. Yeah. Uh, and then it happens two more times that day. Yeah, every day, three times a day. Um, it's kind of incredible, but it's definitely amazing. Like, Is that where that, that feeling of, of wanting to, to serve people came from? I personally like the high. I like the, the action. Like I, I'm myself, I'm a very like, I know you say it exactly, I'm not a a peaceful person. I like to be moving constantly and I'm very hyper. Like I suffer, I suffer from this all my life as a kid, but when I got older, I started to channel it to like more positive places. And it was actually amazing because you, you feel like, you feel like you just went out dancing or something like this. It's like a very high. It's, and, and you love it. I think a lot of people like in the industry understand what I mean for sure. Because there's this like moment before service starts when you know like the people are coming and all the plates are ready and the pots are ready and everything is like almost there, and then it's just start. And this is something I enjoy like daily. This is why even we do it here now, because I cannot like not have it in my life. Because I, I don't know how I'll live if I'm not going to have this like certain type of high from service. It's a very uh, addicted thing, I guess. <laughs> I guess it's a good addiction, but uh, it's definitely. Uh, Definitely very significant part of loving the whole industry. Adjust this. Um, that's, <laughs> that's really, you mentioned that um, uh, that this is something that you need to do. If is this something that you grew up feeling like this would be part of your life, or mm. when you were a, uh, a child or a teenager? And like you said, maybe you weren't as focused. Were you thinking about food then, or what were you thinking about? Uh, wow. I don't think I ever 
even drawn, had like a dream like this in my life. I was sure I'm going to be an artist. Um, I was sure I'm going to be like a painter and a famous one. Um, I think drawing was like a massive part of my life. I rarely, like I used to be a lot at home and a lot of drawing. Like I used to go out and everything, but like it was like a significant part of me and I did not ever think that I will be part of an industry like this ever. I was, the, I was not even ever interested in food. Like my, both of my parents were always working, so we usually just microwaved everything. Yeah. And maybe once a week we had like a dinner together. Mm -hmm. So it was not like, I never grew up with all the stories of a grandma from Italy that's make risottos for like hours and uh, chicken wings in the microwave, 246, you know, you press the button, <laughs> it's coming out, it's ready, it's hot, it's tasty, lots of sugar, lots of salt. That usually used to be most of my uh, nourishment. Yeah. So I don't. Uh, and that's the way you looked at food. Yeah, the food seems to me like something that you heat and eat pretty much. You just. So you mentioned that that changed when you went to to France. Yes. And it sort of fell in love with French cuisine and and uh, the complexity of the flavors. Then you had an opportunity to go to New York. Yes. And apprentice under uh, Daniel Ballou. Yes. Uh, for those who, who don't know, know uh, the chef, can you talk about um, who he is and where was he at in his career at that time? For sure. Um, so we're talking about 2001. Um, Daniel, for sure. Daniel actually is from Lyon. It's from where I schooled at in France. Um, he moved uh, to New York feeling, um, and I'm just, I'm quoting his biography because it's an incredible biography. Um, he felt the need of expanding out of the nouvelle cuisine of the Paul Bocuse and Michel Asnon, all the, like the old fashion, and with new ingredients and interesting, uh, you know, in, I, I don't even think there is like a, the word to describe what he did because it's a very serious move because no chefs then left France. It was not something that people thought to do, like let me move to New York and do French cuisine with, with American ingredients. Um, and I think he, he made a massive, a massive dent in the industry. So he was, he got to be known from La Cirque. And it's the, back in the days, that was like the place of New York. Mm -hmm. Manhattan, people went to La Cirque. That mm -hmm. was the restaurant. So he was there, I believe, for seven years. And with a group of investors, I know he started Daniel. That was his like flagship. I'm sure it was a couple other things before and after, but this was pretty much the place uh, where he really started to create his own cuisine. And he got very known very quickly with three Michelin star right away accelerating. Um, so I joined the, the company when they were, were about to open, I think their third location, what's called DB Bistro, yes. Uh, so Cafe Baloo was started up Upper East Side, or Upper West Side, not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Upper East Side. Um, and then DB Bistro was starting when he started actually to do more American food with French technique than French food with American ingredients. Right, okay. Um, and that's where he came out with the burger stuff with the goose liver and the truffle. It's like that he started this burger right. madness. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> that it's still a, going. Yeah, it's yeah. still now. We're talking about like 15 years now. He started it and it's incredible. Um, so he was already well as, uh, established at the time. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm starting sorry, here because the most amazing part was that he was daily in the restaurant. And it was like the most amazing thing to see. We're talking about a $7 million operation, like with serving 300 people a day, 400 in the weekend. Most of it is tasting menu. So if you do 400 times 10 courses, you can calculate the courses. And everything served on like the best china with gorgeous silver. It's like, it's not normal. Like 
to even like, like just be exposed to that was like completely different from coming from a small village in France. You know? right. And I think that was like a very like what made him him. Like, so what was that like being exposed to that and being exposed to? I mean, was this sort of like at the feet of a master? Like, did you get the that sense that hey, this person is really special? Um, where were you at that? And what did you take from that experience? So I, I can definitely tell you the most dramatic moment in my life was uh, I, I had like hard time to to absorb into the system because it was very different in France, the American system. He's very keen about hiring people from France to bring them into his system, but the American system was very different for me. So it was it was hard for me to just understand that everything divides for stations and each person know only what he need to do for a station. Right. I, I was very like against that in my head because I, I constantly try to look to the other station and learn and get, because in France you work everywhere on everything with everyone. You don't really do so much because the real chefs do everything and you're just playing around, but you get to, like, you get to burn your hands everywhere. Right. Um, <laughs> over there you only burn your, your hands on the station. Yeah. Um, th that was for me uh, a little bit, I guess, difficult. So we had a conversation. He, he told me, like he, I said with the rest of the chef, he said, Iran, like I was expecting from you, you know, more to accelerate here and like, you know, take leadership. And I was telling him my excuse. He got very upset. He said, listen, we're going to have to break you down and rebuild you here. And I don't know why I got like very offended from it and I started crying, like really crying with tears. And I thought like, I'm willing to die in your restaurant. That's like, that sentence is carved in my head because I was really willing to die there. I was willing to do anything that need to be done to stay work there. Like it, it made no difference for me. If you'll ask me like, okay, from now on you're washing the dishes or from now on you're like wiping the floors. Like I was willing to do anything. Even like coming with a degree from France, you know, we're being a little bit more advanced than other people in the States. Uh, speaking the language also, it, it was a big thing because whoever spoke French was more connected there in the right. restaurant. So, um, Why was it so important to you? Um, I've, I, I, for, for me, it was like the, the top of the mountain, uh, working in a three Michelin star restaurant. And again, who knew what three Michelin restaurant 15, 20 years ago? It was not part of like the vocabulary, but in right. France, like it, in France is like you put like a, it's very interesting. It's actually very similar to the army. And I understand when people like want to stay in the army and grow in, in their, uh, I don't remember how you said in English, uh, growing their, uh, you know, rank. Yes. So yeah, in rank. France, it's 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 the same thing. It's like if you don't cook in a Michelin star restaurant, you actually don't cook. Like you don't exist. You just not, nothing. So, as I guess is the thing that my dad always says, like it's better to be the tail for the lions than the head to the fox. So for me, it was like just carve. I came into a very still army mentality to everything, and I was willing to sacrifice myself for the cause because it was so important. Because without that, there is no cause. There's no reason to cook. And if I got already there, and this is like the best, so there's no way I'm like not staying there. I'm going now somewhere else with two Michelin star. Yeah. You know, it's like it was not even willing to register it in my head. But I was very young and ambition. That's also got me to a lot of troubles. But, you know, it's part of the deal, I guess. <laughs> I guess it's part of the deal. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of trouble do you get into? Um, so, so I think I was very, very arrogant when I was working there because it is a pride to, to take a part in it. Then, today, you have so many options, so it's very different. But the options were very limited for like very innovative chefs to be part of their company. So you had like people like Gay Savoy or 
Pierre Garnier, and those people you had to wait. Like, again, I had to wait also time to get in. It was like almost impossible to get to the restaurants um, to eat or to work. It's the same, right. same, on the same. Everybody wanted in one way or another. Anybody, in any way. Um, wow. <laughs> you take me back. Um, so, yeah, I got to some fights, you know, because everybody is like tense all the time. You're in a very tense environment constantly. And it's actually not a good idea to be arrogant in a tense environment because if you think you know it all, you're definitely going to go down because there's no know it all in this industry. Um, and it taught me a lot of lessons, specifically this, the arrogancy to like, think that you know something. So you got to work very closely with, with him during this time. Um, I wish. Uh, I, I'm, he was around. <laughs> Um, definitely didn't get the experience that like you know his main chefs get because um, they are the real leaders. But he was around and right. he was there, and he's he's definitely a motivator, and he's definitely like a like a a real man figure like in the presence. kitchen. He's definitely yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, you feel him, and he's very engaged. Like he's there, he's, and he love it. He's like he loved the business, mm-hmm. and it's amazing to see like a person like this with. I do not know where he produces energy from. It's, it's, it's not, it's, I, it was days that I didn't, he was there before us, living after us, and he's, he's on fire. But today, I, I'm sure it's different. He's, you know, time yeah. passed, and he has so many more restaurants, and he should, be, he should have the most, you know, success I wish for him, because he's, like, the most, one of the most amazing leaders in this industry. So that was New York in the sort of early 2000s, late? Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you, after that, you came to, or sometime after that, you came to Toronto. Yeah. Can you tell me about your first impressions about uh, the Toronto food scene? So I actually loved it because one of the most amazing things is that I only experienced being in very, very fancy restaurants, and I never considered the concept in getting into like a small restaurant. Like, you know, in France, there is all these bavettes and bouchons. Like, it's, it's very small places, but... I think just tourists really eat there. And if you're already there, you want to go to the real places like Lyon de Lyon, La Mer Brasier, you know, like it's called. So I'm very used to like things serving very like old China. You have all mm-hmm. the cutlery on the table. There's the ashtray, there's the flower in the good days and the ashtray was on the yeah. table. <laughs> yeah. It's all made of silver. Like there's everything is like spotless. The waiter, the waiter is like blocking you from any way not to enjoy the experience. The chef come out, it's always the same round in the same time with the towel and you fold the apron, the same thing. And in New York, I, I also just went to the same places. Like I went to what I knew from France. So I went to eat at the Four Seasons. And I, you know, that's, I'm thinking like if any other like big establishment that look very familiar, uh, I guess Balthazar, you know, like all the, the classy, big New yeah. York places. So when I came here, it was like... It was, you know, I don't know, in the good old days, Chantro, you know, up on, uh, on Young and Eglinton, that had kind of similar, and uh, Canoe, Auberge, those are like beautiful restaurants. But then like, I saw like there is like another hype here, it's like all these like small restaurants that are like, very cool. And I think one of the most amazing things is like the, 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 the Canadian people, Canadianism, it's like, it's an un- unbelievable, I, I, I was like amazed how welcoming people, if it's like a little hole in the wall, like a Peruvian restaurant on St. Clair next to like a bike fixing, like a store. Yeah. You know, it's like the most amazing food ever. And I, I actually really 
fell in love with, with Toronto for, for everything at AVs. Like the, the, the simple of the city, the, the easy subway system, the, the cleanliness, the, the, the less people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> when you're coming from New York, all of a sudden it seems like a small city, I guess. Yeah, um, it, it seems just amazing. <laughs> so Toronto is also the place where you, I don't know if you would describe it this way, but you found religion. Yes. But up until this point, you were not a religious person. Not at all. What, what, did you, what were your views on re religion mm -hmm. and religious people at that point? Interesting. So I, I was a very spiritual person, that's for sure. Um, I, I believe that there is like a God that's taking care of us. With very little, uh, I had very little connection with him. And uh, to be honest, I, I, had, I had difficulty with religious people. I, I, I actually I didn't even like them. I thought, it's, I, I thought it's ridiculous. I thought there's no way to, you know, being that and saying this is like religion. I, I couldn't agree with it. It, was it very, just didn't add up to you? It, it, not even closer. Like I, I, was, I was irritated with them, to be honest. It was like seeing them was like always like this like mark, you know, like I'm religious. Like in any religion, not just like, you know, not just my religion. Right. Like in any type of religion, I had a problem with any type of like representative of authority in religion. I thought authority is only like in business, you know, there's no authority out of business life. And uh, yeah, I guess that was my... Uh... <laughs> so what, what, what changed that though? There was a, a family that, that you stayed with. Yes. Um, was it really there that you started to, to learn more and to see things a little differently? I, for sure, the main thing that changed everything was kindness. It, 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 the act of kindness that I knew that specifically was motivated from a religion perspective. Not that I'm saying that people that are not religious are not kind, but I knew that this act being deliberately done because it's a religion demand. And I, I, I thought that, that one of the most amazing things in, in the world to live by. I, I, I you know, I, everybody has these questions about life and he asks himself why I'm here, for what, is there a reason? Um, finding an answer for that, that the, the answer is you here to be kind to other people seemed to be like the most amazing answer that it could be. I, I couldn't think that there is like a better reason to be here than being kind to other people. And I, again, if I, I born Jewish and if I wasn't Jewish and, and like another religion was representing the same thing because I, I got to, you know, I got to be in India, I got to travel all over the world. And I met, the first thing that I do I usually meet the, the culture and the religion people because I'm very interested about all of it. I see a lot of beauty in it. I know it's hard to say a lot of beauty in it because it creates so much war, even, like, even in Islam, even in, in, in you know, Buddhism, in, in all mm -hmm. those stuff. There is a lot of, of understanding of community life and, and giving and, and nourishing people from each other. So for me, this is definitely something very significant. Um, I only chose Judaism because I was born Jewish. It's like it's, it's been presented to me from birth, not, not for any other, like, like, there's no other reason that this is like why I chose that religion. And yeah. I mean, I guess the people that you're staying with were, were Jewish and yes. the kindness that they, they showed you. Yeah. So what, what changed for you after that? So the kindness that they showed me was not really about me. That's, that's the best part. Um, 
I'm, I'm not going to say that they were demanding of me. They were very uh, explanatory about how they run their house. Something that I actually really liked because I never grew in a system. Like my personal life, my parents, you know, they all, each one of them were in a different, you know, they have different values, different understanding. They were together, but um, we grew as children, you know, just, just regular, secular, you know. We did like whatever is going on, you know. I'd, their house was running a system, and I, I, I am a person of system. I'm a very square person, and anything that's been managed well, I like. So it, for me, it was a very uh, big understanding. But then I saw that there is even more, and I, I didn't realize that so the, 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 the father of the house, for example, so he ran his own business, and he worked very hard, they have lots of kids, and he himself used to like stand up and go and do uh, like, like charity work, like when he come back from work, after like he woke up very early, you know, he go prayer in the morning, then he run his own business, then he go back home, he's with his kids, and then on top of it, he go and then help other people. And that was like a daily thing. And, and the wife, she go, she drop the kids, like at school, she make them the lunches and everything, and then she herself go and like volunteering, like in a soup kitchen. It was like, and, and they only did it because they were together. It was a, an understanding of togetherness, and I really realized that like, this is something that like, I want for my life. And when I, more and more I spoke with them about it, I understand that you can only accomplish it through being in a religion and actually following laws, obeying those laws. I don't like to even call them laws, because in Hebrew it's a completely different word. Okay. I don't want it, it's more like deeds. Um, I guess commandments, it's not even commandments, it's not right to say mm -hmm. this way. Um, that's the thing I think that hold me the most, because I start, you know, we all, we all think about our future, you know, get married, build a home, build a family, and I start to really connect between my work life to my life life, and start to see that I actually like to have even a system in my life. Like, I like my life to be guided. If it's not by a chef here, so now it's by a god. <laughs> if it's, I don't know if it's the right to say it this way. I hope mm -hmm. I'm not saying something that it's not, <laughs> I'm not supposed to say. But the, the guidance was very important for me. Not right. that I ever felt loss. It's not, it's not, it doesn't come from feeling loss. It's kind of like loving the, the idea of being part of a system, being being not just here, no, not just, I'm just here and that's it. Like, yeah, and you talked about sort of that feeling permeating into your, your work life too, mm -hmm. right? For sure. And I want to get to that, but I, I feel like we need to explain Kashrut for, sure. for the people that aren't familiar. Um, can you explain the concept of, of, of Kashrut? For sure. I, I, I can only explain for my personal life. Um, this is something for sure for like a professional. that I, I myself, I learned still today on Kashrut. It's like a never-ending learning mechanism. I think the main, the main idea for Kashrut, it's, 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 uh, it is in, in our Torah. Uh, it's been given us by God uh, through an understanding of separation and elevation of elements of, of eating. So if one thing is the consumption of the, the element, the other thing is the production of the element. So I know more people are very interested in the production, in the consumption. The, the stories of, of the consumption, of the, sorry, a lot of people are interested in the consumption and the most of the value of kashrut is in the production. Right. If it's like to make the vegetables and fruit kosher, for example, you have the whole idea of, 
of actually the land and how you grow it in the land and what's growing in the land. And then if you have before of the slaughtering of the animal, so how you slaughtering the animal, what you do after with his blood, because you have to drain it and do you just like throw it somewhere or you put it, you know, there's a certain, you know, holy procedure of dealing with that. Because this is not, I know a lot of people have major issues with, with, with slaughtering and I'm sure that everybody take it very seriously. And even in, in a, in a spiritual way, this is a very serious thing. This is not like a, this is not a joke. You not we we don't kill an animal. You actually slaughter it. You like you elevate our soul. And I'm sure a lot of people will not like what I'm saying right now. I should maybe stop saying that and speak about vegetables. <laughs> it's more easy because uh, there's very little emotional connection uh, with vegetables. Um, but the, the procedure also it's a step before we even get to kashrut. And then you have, as everybody knows, the biggest separation is between the, the meat and the dairy. And, you know, the pork, of course, that everybody knows that, you know, religious Jewish people don't eat pork. And I'm sure that traditional people don't eat pork. And many other cultures don't eat pork. And the shellfish. And then there is many other types of fish and many other types of animal. Because there is a category that uh, for, for animals to eat, they have to uh, chew their cut. And they have, a, they have to need to have a split hoof. Um, so animals that don't have that, maybe I'm missing another one. Yeah, they have to have a hoof, and the hoof have to be split. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that's for just consumption of animals, and those animals have to be slaughtered in a certain way. Not just like you can't just like kill it. You can't just take it and kill it, or you cannot take and damage it before you're killing it. It has to be like a perfect condition. Um, so the raising have to be. Uh, like, well, this is why we have a lot of issues now, because a lot of animals being raised poorly and we, we can't slaughter them. They cannot be like sick and then be slaughtered. They have to be like in, in a good condition and have actually like, experienced part of a good life. Um, for, for, for fish, there's a different category where they have to have uh, gales, scales, and there's another thing. I think it's gales and scales. It could be wrong, mm -hmm. it could be another thing. Oh, and fins, yeah. So they have to have just those three elements. And anything that's out of this category is just not kosher. And whatever is in this category, you have to be treated in kosher way. Right. Because so, there is there kosher as it exists. Yeah. But then there is kosher as you prepare the food itself. Yes, 100%. And the yeah. practices that and you then, use then, and what you uh, can prepare together and yes. what needs to be separate. Yes. So as a chef... Yeah. Um, and this is even before you had become religious. Yeah. You had worked at kosher restaurants. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the challenges for in sure. tr trying to follow kashrut? Is that am I saying that right? Yeah, that follow right kashrut. Follow yeah, a hundred percent. So it's it's actually a very good question you're asking because this this actually a subject that be dealt very very well because the separation of of meat and dairy. Uh, when you become a kosher facility, you need to choose to be meat or dairy. There's no options to be both of them. You can be both of them, but the, the facilities have to be separate from each other because each one of his own utensils. You can use like a meat, like even like, like a normal Jewish household that is absorbing the religion will separate his dishes. We'll have pots for dairy and pots for meat. So if they're making, a, you know, for example, a steak, they're not going to use the, the, the pan that they fry something in butter. They have a different pan for meat. So... In our industry, in the kosher industry, it's actually very, very simple to follow because you just you separate it. So you all have a kitchen that is a meat kitchen, right. or have a kitchen that is a dairy kitchen, and the challenge becomes much simpler. Mm -hmm. And I think I like it because it's making things much less complicated <laughs> for everyone. But I think it also creates um, different opportunities. Like you just mentioned, 
the steak finished with the butter. Yeah. You're going to have that. Yeah. Right? I wish. But you, but <laughs> exactly, in, 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 in most kitchens, that you would do it that way. So now, again, doing things kosher, yes. you have to do things different. So it sort of creates For sure. some new opportunities. For sure. A hundred percent. I'm trying to think of the right word to say it, but after you taste something so delicious, it's registered as a memory. And we all have it, like we especially have it from like our childhood when our mothers make something that we really like, well, maybe other people, like my mom. I guess she did something, I'm not gonna, I should be fair with her. She used to make these amazing stuffed peppers, I love them, I still think okay. about them. Every time I come home, I ask her for that, and there's another potato dish that you do with cheese, it's like very good. Um, but those things that register staying in, with you in your palate, so, I, before I became kosher, for sure had like a very nice piece of, you know, yellow carotene butter on my steak. It was very hard not to. It's, it's just delicious. You can't, you can't fight it. It's delicious. Today, you know, I, I learned to live without it and uh, work on ways to find substitutes for it. But it, it is a register. It's a delicious thing. And facing this challenge was to recreate amazing flavors and, and achieve greatness on dishes with missing elements. So here came a lot of new type of chefs that I start to admire, is chefs that challenge by the area that they were cooking at. Um, if it's, the, the main one would be Michel Bra in France, that he just stuck on a mountain, Gagnol, I think that's the name of the place, and he just cooked from what's in the land. Right. So I start to see with him, like, so he created this like olive oil butter, where you emulsify olive oil, in, in a very low temperature um, until he became like solid and solid and solid and start tying it and tying it. And he, he got a very interesting product, the same like in here in Canada, I was exposed for the first time to maple. So I was exposed to maple butter. That was like one of the most amazing things. Of course, there's different elements of flavor, but you start to really look into ingredients and you start to really see, like I want this taste again. I know I can achieve it like in a different way or get something 10 times better. It's, or it's the same or better. You can't mm -hmm. go under. So you need to start, and you start to work your head. You know, like, it took me, it took me a long time to figure out a way that I can create this very similar flavor to, to, to like, a, like a lobster bisque. Right. It's like almost impossible, because we all know you have to like do the lobster, then you have to grind the shells, and you get the whole flavor from it. You know, you, some people do the touch of curry and the secret with the celery leaves, you know. Everybody have their tricks, but you can't get it. You can't get the flavor of the bisque. So with like lots of time and lots of flavoring, you know, and lots of research, you know, smoking the chipotles and putting them again. It's kind of funny, but like with a good, like, you know, if you have like a good sea bass, you can actually achieve a very like similar flavor um, on the dairy side if you like make a liaison. And like, again, it's French techniques, but you can get the flavor. You can get there. Now it's the idea like how you make it better. Right. And that's where the challenges start. So I think our answer was porcini mushrooms, or like okay. really something that brought this like really yeah. nice deep flavor into like the bisque. So it's, it's just nice. Like I like it. It's like incredible to like go back to the folder in my head of these flavors and try to like recreate them in a kosher way. So I find it's like very, it's exciting every day here after all. You know? Well, that's what I was going to ask is, uh, I think some people might have the attitude of, oh, this is frustrating. Uh, and I wish I could just do it, do it this way. Do you look at it, or did you maybe at the beginning look at it as a, a frustrating exercise, or was it uh, sort of more of like an exciting challenge? Mm -hmm. Wow, those are good questions. <laughs> um, so, 
it's it's hard for me to say it about myself. I don't think I'm a person that gets frustrated from situations because I'm obsessively love puzzles and questionnaires and all this stuff. Uh, so it actually fit very well with my personality to be in this situation. Um, but I, I can give up on like trying to tie my shoes, but like if I have like a, a mystery puzzle to figure out, like I don't know if I like, I, I can't like, it's more, it's more excitement than like, I, I like it. Like I enjoy it. It's, it's something that like giving me a lot of like joy uh, in, in my life, even in my personal life. Like I like, the questioning of it and not finding it right. And I, I'm sure it's give a lot of frustration to, to people, especially in the kosher industry, because it's very limited. And you go to the supermarket, there's amazing product. You want to try them all. There's this type of, of snack and this type of juice. And, and you want to get this like, you know, jalapeno peppers in this like sauce, adobo. And, but you can't, it's not kosher. You can't use it. So it's or you're making it yourself or you just say, whatever, it's done. I'm not doing it. Or you stop keeping kosher. You, you have so many options. So for me, it's like it's to see that thing and say, no, 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 I have to like make it kosher. I'm gonna say it in a very selfish way, for, more for myself because I want to eat it. <laughs> but then you know, the best part is to share it. It's like that's like the the most amazing you know thing that we have in life that we have something that we like and then we can share it with other people. Like you know, to engage with them, that they share with you what they like, and it's growing and growing and growing all the time. And that's the beauty of the industry. I think it's a. I personally think it's one of the most amazing industry, like in the world for like food because it's constantly the innovation of it it's such a different innovation because it's have to unfold itself constantly you can't just take something and make it uh, better you have to figure out how to make it kosher and then right. better it's like not enough just looking like you know you make better noodles they're more healthy for me from buckwheat and not use you know trans fats here like you need to make that and then make sure that all the elements of it is kosher and feeding to kosher laws and especially because, again, you grew up without this. Nothing. I think it would be a little different, perhaps, if you had grown up kosher and you weren't exposed to those different flavors and those different ingredients. Now you've got to, like you mm -hmm. say, you have them in your, your, your sure. memory. You have to sort of recreate them. Can you talk about, because I feel like part of what we're talking about now is what you're doing here with this lab. Can you talk about your culinary, your kosher culinary lab and and what you guys are doing here? For sure. Um, so uh, the lab established uh, for my side, because of course I have a partner here, um, Emil Diamond. Uh, thank God that I have him as a partner. It's been a very, uh, very wonderful uh, relationship and friendship, and we're sharing a lot of passion for research. Um, the main thing for me was that I, I again, as I shared, said before, um, I was managed, if, before I was managed myself by my um, I guess arrogancy. Uh, then, when I start my own restaurant, I start to manage myself from my ego, and that was also like an horrendous thing. <laughs> and I needed to create a place. Like after uh, after I left the restaurant, I needed to create a place for me that failing is actually a part of success. Because um, in the restaurant, I didn't leave myself enough room for researching or trialing thing, I really wanted to get things done and you have very little bit time to achieve it. So fundamentally, I wanted the lab to have a space where I can try things and taste them and have them with other people tying them without feeling that my ego is involved, understanding. And I think it affected all my life after to understand that everything in life is a process. You have to try, you have to research, you have not to get nervous when something doesn't work or get like frustrated when it doesn't come out the way you wanted it. 
Because the more you'll challenge it and the more you try with it, the better it will get. Cause, and, and that's the beauty of science. Is why I got into food science more, and not from the concept of molecular gastronomy. Like it's not what I'm, I like. I don't. It's not. Not that I'm against it. I think it's a beautiful field. Um, it's it's not what my passion is about. My passion is more about taking out the, the stress from kitchens because I find myself to be very stressful in the environment of the kitchen, constantly trying to achieve little goals instead of like really focusing on how to do one thing great from the beginning to the end and then try to apply it to other things and then again and again and again until it's become perfect. Not that there is perfect, but you know, getting up there. Um, and that was very important for me to incorporate also work into it and actually you know make a living from it so as i see that now it's developing in this direction that like we get contact from other companies that are interested in our product and like just more a, a way of product development because we have very little product that we produce really uh, we do like once a week a dinner to support our research of course um i was not interested like to go for the government grants and all this stuff because i thought it should be like something sustainable because we also want to build like a business model and non, not like a non-for-profit because um, we want to make a living from this research, of course. Uh, but in a healthy environment where, 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 where making a mistake is part of a process that leads to success. That was very important for me as a person in the time of my life after being so long in the restaurant industry and seeing myself and my other friend chefs, you know, you, you can be very successful. Thank God the restaurant was amazing and was always successful and gave me like, so much in my life and a lot of good people in my life around me because of that. But one thing it took, it took most of my life. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that it's like the hard part is like to serve people all the time. The hard part is to fail a lot and make mistakes a lot. And I'm not embarrassed to say it, of course, like I know like I was a, a chef and, and as a, as, even as a restaurateur, I'm sure the people in the industry are very familiar with what I'm saying. It's, a lot of time it's not in your control. There's so many factors, you know, the delivery, the late, and uh, the, the waiter forgot to write something. You forgot to write something. Usually it's your fault, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you lost the key. It's always something. Uh, even even very, like, like, good restaurants that I work for, there's always something. Because there's so many factors that, uh, of course, you can achieve greatness today. In our days, there's the amazing technology. This is why we decided to start research, because the technology is now is available and the information is out. So we can know now how to even start a restaurant and be very successful without going through this pressure concept. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. So who is, um, what market are, are, you, are you filling here with, with the research lab? Uh -huh. um, right now, really our focus is on big industry, like, when I say big industry, I'm saying like like the size, like like a big sugar, really. Like we really want to find ways to innovate in the kosher industry. Today, the kosher industry stand on 18 billion dollar uh, operation that have no place to go for help. They have to like innovate and accelerate in themselves constantly. What causing us to have very little product? And I'm not saying there is no product. There is amazing product. There is for sure a lot more than what was before. And there is a lot of great pioneers in the industry that like pushing to make it better. And it's amazing if it's like working, you know, hand by hand with like the COR here in Canada. It's like the Kosher Council of Canada. They're very supportive of what we do. And 
we really very happy with the way they deal, deal with things and they're connecting us to like a lot of other companies worldwide because they're all over the world, you know, even Coca-Cola is kosher. You know, you can, if you look in Coke, they, they figure out the market. You should be kosher. Like, they know it. <laughs> they're like very smart people out there. Because um, I, I personally also believe, personally, that one of the reasons I picked this industry because I really think that spiritual food will be the next step of the food industry. If today it's health and organic, I really believe that people will start eating for elevating. And I can, if before I thought that the, the industry will be for zero fat, and everybody learned that fat is like important for you. Right. I think that people will start to understand to engage the spiritual into their dining experience. It's not like it's not a joke. It's like right. a very important part of our life. That if it was in a sacramental, like you know, some more as a ceremonial right. concept, then even paganism today will for sure become part of people's life and understand like specifically now when everything motivated for health and I'm very happy about it this is I think our world is going to like an amazing place when it's come to food I really love that I'm living in this time and age and seeing that happening because seeing human deciding to cons uh, like consume less protein and less animal product that's it's a lot actually based in Judaism because you could not consume so much um, animals then because if you had to slaughter it you had to wait a day right. then you had to put the salt so you had to wait another day and then drain the blood and then cut so you, you will do it on a Sunday you'll have your meat by Thursday the meaning you only eat it for Shabbat for Friday so it was not this mass consumption of, of, of meat and animal product and protein and this industry caused so much byproduct so we very keen here about changing the concept of the connection of the sectors and try to meet the fourth sector with the first sector. Like get the people that prepare with the people that produce, cutting out the factories and the people that sell, and get them together. Get those people, the, the minds and the hands should work together, because this is like a body. And if you have the minds, as the people that think how to cook things and where to put them and how to put them together with the people that produce it, getting together and join, we will be in a very like, strong, cultured, in any way, even in, intelligent will rise because we'll be occupying everything except of focusing on sales because right now the industry 100% focus on selling. And it's a shame. It's a shame that we're there because there is so much beautiful people out there and unfortunately food makes a lot of people sick now. And it, it's sad to see it this way, that, that our, our food system hurting us. I'm not, again, I'm not against the food system. I think it's actually without it, we'll not have any system. I think it's an amazing system that we somehow as human were able to produce because before each person was just growing for yourself and you have nothing. But perhaps really. it's time to start looking at making some changes. Now we know more. For sure. So you've been open about a year now. Yeah. What, what, have, what have you learned um, in the last year? Perhaps about Kashrut, mm -hmm. about um, Judaism or about food? Um, the main thing that I learned is that it's an amazing experience to be able to be here for someone else. It's the most amazing thing that created with this space is that we can actually give a hand to other people that were challenging with all the challenges that I was stuck when I was starting in Kashrut. And it, the most amazing thing is that Kashrut never ends. It's like an endless thing to learn because every day there is a new product on a new process. And I, I find it like the closest I get with it, the more um, we can innovate and more we can create things because those laws, they may be like, you think we can have, let's say, milk with meat. And before that, I was like, okay, okay, it's cheese. I can have cheese. It's not a problem. 
But then when you like take the cheese, you break it down, you know, you take all the, like, the minerals, this, and then you realize, oh my God, in cheese there is rennet. Rennet, it's an animal product. I can't have cheese. It's made of milk and meat. So let's make you look into things and, and really unfolding everything and what take you to see the process of how it's been made. So it's more felt like this year that most of the time I was sitting in front of this show, how it's been made, you know, the show mm-hmm. on TV. Yeah. <laughs> and like, but for every single thing, oh, cucumber, how it's been made. Like I learned that cashew grows on apples. Like I never knew it before. I had no idea that cashew actually like grow oh, on an apple. I didn't know. I know. <laughs> I didn't. Be, uh, yeast is a fungus like, or a bacteria. Like, all these things, that's actually new, but I'm saying it's like amazing to learn those things and because yeah. you have no choice because we have to look into how the cashew grow to know what's the cashew law on this cashew and when you can pick it and if you can't and if you need to break it down or cook it. Or, it's, it's been so amazing. It's been so unfolding and unfolding and, I, and that's actually made me also more and more stronger to want to make a change in, in big industry. Again, I'm not, I'm not looking to get a product into the supermarket and say, okay, that's a product, you should buy it, it's very, it's very good for right. you. It's really to bring new minds to the table. And, and I encourage, like, of course, all chefs in the world to get into this and affect those, those mass production industries because they have the answers. Those people that see their incorporate, very little of them know about food. It's actually sad to know it. That's what reminded me the stations in New York. That's why I didn't like it. When you just know what you need to do for a station. If somebody asks you for something else, you have no idea how to produce it. So why you don't have the tools to create something better and not look for answers of emulsification with corn? No, they, they just look, they look for answers and, and those strong chefs that are out there innovating daily, like in some mountains, in, in, you know, I just came back now for... I just I just, been, just came back now from Scandinavia, seeing their chefs doing the most amazing things, just from things of nature, without any molecular gastronomy or any help from any chemicals, just like producing gorgeous, amazing, purest food was like such a relief for me to say, I know we're going in this amazing direction. It's incredible. It's coming. It's coming here. And I also see it on my French chefs. Like a lot of people, they, they choose new techniques. They choose to do, make things better. It's, it's not just the, the, the customer pull or, or, or the client push. It's that people actually want to make things. People are amazing, like especially here. Like I know in all the world, of course, but here it's, it's a country of like amazing people with like a lot to give. And, and I think that's, that's very special about Canada. Like I think it's a... Sorry, I'm tying up the whole story now. <laughs> yeah. I did the whole job for you. <laughs> Well, I think it's amazing, and it's like one thing. Obviously, you're very passionate about uh, learning and about uh, innovating, and and um, and just knowing more. But one thing that you mentioned at the beginning is that you're very passionate about um, serving people. Mm-hmm. When I hear your story about how um, you became religious and what what that sort of uh, tilting point was you said it was kindness and what I see in you is I feel like perhaps is that your way of, of showing kindness is you show your kindness through food through serving people you're showing them that you care about what you're doing and you care about them that's a very good question uh, <laughs> I have a very selfish answer to give you, actually, and I just, I, I'm going to give you just my, my basic life day by day. 
So I, I live with roommates and I, I love my roommates deeply. They're amazing people and I'm very happy that I live with them. Uh, but unfortunately, they're very slow in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> like if I need to make breakfast, it's like I, I'm not saying that I'm doing things better than anyone. I just know it's going to be quicker. Because in my head, I put the pan, I warm it up, I put the toast, I put the eggs, I put the this, I mix it up, it's done, it's, done, it's ready, five minutes. And we need to get out of the house. Like we need to get to the synagogue. We have no time to waste right now. We, everybody will need to go to work. So if I do it, we're out. It's done, it's quick, the dishes are away, they're all in the dishwasher, I press the button, we leave. If they do it, we never leave on time. So I learned that the more I do and give for people, the more I get to where I want to see life is. So I'm using it, and I'm going to keep using it. I know it's benefit for other people, but I really actually want to see the world moving to a direction of quicker-paced, people understand quickly things, and you know, less, less, less conversation and argument, more like let's get better with this, let's do this great stuff, let's help everyone, let's help everyone to get to everywhere they want to get, and quick and fast. And I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm using this word, of course, there's people that cannot move quick and fast, and I don't blame them, and I don't think quick and fast is the best source. But I think everybody should, if everybody will actually use his strength for the other people around him, and everybody else will use their strength, I'm sure we're going to get very quickly right. as, as humanity. Um, so again, it's a very selfish thing. I, I, uh, <laughs> it is. <It's>, but <laughs> I think, again, it comes from the fact that, hey, we all got to eat, we all got to get somewhere, and... If I'm the, I'm, I'm the right person in the room to get us there the fastest, then I'll take the lead on this. I agree with you 100%. There's a very big saying in the Torah that said, in a place that there is no person, be the person. And this is a line that I take with me for, I guess, everywhere I go. Of course, I made a mistake in my life. Of course, I was not right with everyone. Um, I, think, I think it's part of life. Um, of course, there's much more you know, higher level people than me that do, do not do it. Unfortunately, I had to go through this process to get to where I am today. Um, I'm not happy about it, but you know, you do some wrongs. Um, but if you learn from them, and this is a sentence that guide you, I feel it's very motivating you to want to grow and develop as a person. And really, I don't like to use the word do good because a lot of, we have very different understanding of what is good in life. Um, I more say like just do, really. Really, just do, do, do as much as you can, and every day. And like, don't, there's no reason like to wait with it, because um, people around you will see it. And if it's my staff here, if it's my partner at work, if it's people that are coming for dinner, um, it's not. It's else. It's not about like, getting recognition for anything. It's really about just life daily. The life we have day by day. If you ever look for a reason to be alive, <laughs> just do it for other people. I promise you, after a week, you'll have a reason to be alive. It's very simple. It's, uh, I got all philosophic here. I'm talking about cash okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. pleasure. And that was my extended discussion with Chef Aran Marom. Check back in the space for more extra stuffs. We'll be releasing more extended cuts and additional audio that didn't make into the previous season of Foodstuffs. The best way to get all of the stuffs is to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Foodstuffs Life or on Facebook by searching for Foodstuffs. Thanks again to Iran for speaking with me, and thanks also to Marty Goldberg for connecting us. And thank you for listening. <laughs>